Parable, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Paradigm shift, a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. In other words, a new reality. The parables of Jesus were not just simple stories or teaching illustrations to make a moral or spiritual point. They were meant to disrupt and to provoke the imagination, to invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. His parables upend our notions about life and challenge us to view his kingdom accurately, to not just simply think differently, but to live out a new reality. They are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as in heaven. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Medina East Campus of Grace Church, all of you who are in the room, and of course, those of you who are watching on live stream as well. We're so glad you're with us. And uh, looking around the room, uh, this might be just a good opportunity for me to remind you uh, that we have a Saturday night service. I just thought maybe I'd tell you that. And uh, there's plenty of seats there. So we'd love to have you come to that if you get a chance to. But uh, we are really, really thankful that you're able to be with us here this morning. And like the video just uh, showed, uh, you guys uh, probably can tell in a series right now that's called Paradigm Shift. And if you are just joining us, the heartbeat of the series, kind of, kind of the, what we're doing is we're going through some of the most famous parables that Jesus ever taught. And the reason that we decided to call this series Paradigm Shift is because we've been saying that that's actually exactly what the parables of Jesus were originally intended to do. In fact, what we've been saying in this series, we've been saying that Jesus's parables are actually meant to mess with our paradigms. And so we said, contrary to what some people might think, the parables are not just cute little kid stories, and they're not just simple teaching illustrations. We said the parables, that when Jesus actually gave the parables, they were actually intended to really kind of upend and disrupt and challenge sort of our, our underlying assumptions and cause us to look at things differently. They're intended to kind of evoke a paradigm shift. And so what we've been doing in this series then is we've just been kind of looking through some of the most famous paradigm-shifting parables that Jesus gave. And so this is week five in the series. If you missed any of the previous weeks, I would encourage you, you can always go back and listen to those. It's been a, it's been a great series so far. Uh, but today, as we continue, I want to invite you to look at yet another parable with me. And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them up, and together we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. Okay, so Matthew 18 is where we're going to turn. We're going to look at a, a famous parable that Jesus taught here in Matthew chapter 18. And uh, let me just say, too, that if you didn't bring a Bible with you, or if you don't have an app on your phone, you can go to page 799 uh, in the Bibles that we have laid out there for you. So under the chairs, you'll find a Bible if you need to use one of those. And let me just say this. We say it every week, but we love to say it. If you do not own a physical copy of the Bible, we like to fix that. And so you can take one of those Bibles home with you, write your name in it, make it a gift from us to you. So we'd love for you to have a Bible. So that's where we're going to go is Matthew chapter 18. Now, as you're finding and kind of locating yourself to Matthew 18, I want you to to know before we jump in that the parable that we're about to read is actually a parable that Jesus gives in response to a question. Okay, so this is Jesus's answer to a question. And the question is about the topic of forgiveness. Okay, so I just, just, before we even jump in, I just want you to know that the parable we're gonna read and what we're gonna be talking about today, the topic that we're gonna be talking about is the topic of forgiveness. And, and the reason that I wanna tell you that right before we jump in is because uh, I think that this topic is, is one that is always relevant. It's one that's always needed. 
And maybe for some of you, it's especially timely uh, because this week is Thanksgiving and maybe there's a reason for that. But here's what I found. I just wanna tell you that in my experience, my experience as a pastor, and more importantly, my experience as a person, uh, I have found that this is one of those topics that really seems to resonate. It hits close to home for so, so many of us because unresolved conflicts, past pains, and the lifelong struggle to forgive are, are just such a common part of the human experience. But I could just say this. I can also say that I've also found in my experience that if there's any area that we are most likely to get stuck, right, that we're to get stuck, and for those of us who follow Jesus, if there's an area that we're most likely to experience spiritual blockage, I think that this is maybe within the top three, is the issue of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. The Bible has so much to say about how bitterness and resentment and unresolved anger that we have within our hearts can be something that is so, so very toxic to us. I think, I think many of us know this. I think we understand that when we are unwilling to or when we're unable to or when we struggle to forgive, uh, that can be very costly to us. Uh, it can cost us relationally, it can cost us emotionally, it can cost us personally, and it can cost us spiritually. And I think that there's so much that God wants for us in this area as it relates to forgiveness. So I tell you all of that, I tell you all of that because I, I just kind of want to forewarn you. Because I know that whenever you start talking about forgiveness, for some of you, there's already names, there's already circumstances, there's already people that are coming to your mind. And for some of us, this is gonna poke at certain parts of your past, and it's gonna poke at certain people that you have kind of just, that, you've, that, that are in your lives, that you have just kind of determined in your mind, you sort of put a do not touch, do not disturb sign on that circumstance. I don't wanna think about it. I don't wanna talk about it. And so for maybe for some of you, there's already you know, people and circumstances that come to your mind, or maybe you're like me. And I, remember, I was preparing for this message and I remember thinking to myself, okay, we're talking about forgiveness. And I remember thinking, okay, forgiveness. I think I'm pretty good in that area. Um, but then as I started to dig at this a little bit and go through Jesus's parable, I came to discover that there are certain places in my heart where I realized, man, there is still work that needs to be done in this area. And so here's what I believe. I believe for all of those reasons that I just mentioned, that while this is one of those topics that can hit close to home, I believe that for all of those reasons, this is also one of those areas where maybe there's the greatest potential for there to be freedom, freedom that God desires for you and liberation that God wants for you. So here's what I wanna ask us to do before we jump in this parable. I know we just prayed, so Colin just prayed for us, but given the nature of what we're talking about, I just wanna invite us maybe again why don't we, before we look at God's word and we open up God's word, let's just pray together once again and maybe ask that God would meet us in some of those places in our hearts. So would you join me and just pray one more time before we jump in? Well, Heavenly Father, we ask you that as we open your word, Lord, would you open not only our ears to what you would have to say, but we pray that maybe you'd even open our hearts and God, would you, would you allow us to be open to the areas in our hearts where maybe, uh, Father, we feel resistance or reluctance to let you in? And we ask you that by, by the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would meet us in this time today. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he, here's the parable, Matthew 18. Let's start in verse 21. All right, so here's how it begins. Then Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I, here it is, forgive, right? It's about forgiveness. How many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? 
All right, so real quick, um, let me give you a little context. Um, In the passage right before this, so in Matthew chapter 18, right before Peter asked this question, Jesus was just teaching his disciples the importance of conflict resolution. And so Jesus basically was teaching his disciples, what do you do when someone sins against you, right? What do you do when someone wrongs you? What do you do when someone hurts you? And so Jesus gives this whole talk on conflict resolution. And by the way, I think this might be a good spot for me just to, uh, just to, to point this out. Uh, here at the Medina East Campus, we actually did years ago an entire series on conflict resolution uh, through Matthew chapter 18. The name of that series was called Resolve. And so the reason I bring that up is because if at the end of today's talk, you have more questions or you're like, man, I just, I need, I need more to help me process through this, uh, I think this could be a very helpful resource to you. And so you can grab that on our website, on our app, our podcast, and, uh, and we'd love for you to do that. But anyway, Jesus just has this conversation about what do you do when someone hurts you? What do you do when someone sins against you? And so he talks about conflict resolution. And then right afterwards, Peter asks a very logical follow-up question. And what's Peter's question? He just simply says, Jesus, how many times? How many times am I supposed to forgive? Right? And I think this is a great question. It's a logical question. It's a question, quite honestly, that I think a lot of us find ourselves asking a lot. Right? So, okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but how much am I supposed to put up with? How far am I actually, sp- Jesus, how far are we actually supposed to go with this forgiveness thing? And then I love what Peter does next. And uh, this just seems very, very, very consistent with what I know about Peter. Uh, Peter then offers Jesus a suggestion. So he's like, how many times should we forgive Jesus? And then here's a suggestion. He's like, what do you think? Up to seven times? You think seven? Now, uh, some of you maybe know this, maybe you've heard this before, uh, but, but Peter offers up the suggestion of seven. So back in the first century, rabbis actually taught. So rabbis were like the religious leaders and they actually taught people that you were to forgive, but you only were to forgive three times. And after that, you didn't need to forgive anymore. In fact, let me just show you, this is a quotation from a first century rabbi. His name is Rabbi Yosef ben Judah. And here's what he said. He said, when a person does a transgression once, he's forgiven. A second time, he is forgiven. A third time, he is forgiven. But if he does it a fourth time, he's not forgiven. And so there it is, right? It's sort of like a three strikes and you're out kind of policy. And that's what the religious leaders of Jesus' time would have taught. Now, Peter, knowing that Jesus had a way of usually stretching things beyond the religious norms, he offers up this suggestion. He's like, so Jesus, I know the rabbis say three. He says, what about us? What about the people who follow you? What do you think? Seven? And I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but I can't help but wonder if maybe Peter thought that like, he was like really gonna impress Jesus with that. You know, like, like, like he was gonna be like, what do you think, Jesus? You think like, uh, I don't know, seven? And, and Jesus was gonna be like, what, seven? No, man, I was gonna say five, like tops. And like Peter, gold star, like you're thinking that kind of thing. Um, but Jesus responds to Peter and you guys, his response, his response would have been, would have, been, would have actually really in a lot of ways evoked a paradigm shift. Because here's what Jesus says to Peter. He said to him, uh, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, but 77 times. Now, that's kind of fascinating. Some of you have translations that don't say 77, but they might say 70 times seven. And uh, so what's that all about? What's, what, what's that talking about? Well, let me just say there's a, lot, there's a lot that we could say about that, and there's a lot that commentators say about that. But here's the bottom line. 100% of commentators all agree with this. 
Uh, what Jesus is not doing is he's not putting a number on how many times we, for, we should forgive. He's not, this isn't an argument about math. What Jesus is doing is he, this is his way of saying that his followers, his disciples are to forgive limitlessly. That in other words, if you're a follower of Christ, and I, I know not everyone in this room today is, but for those of us who follow Christ, our forgiveness is to be a non-tallying forgiveness. It's the kind of forgiveness that doesn't keep count, that doesn't keep track. That's what Jesus is calling us into. It is a forgiveness that is limitless, which quite honestly, if you stop and think about it, sounds ridiculous. That sounds totally ridiculous. And honestly, if, if I think for many of us, if you actually stop and think what Jesus is saying here, that we are to forgive without limitation, I think for some of us that causes us to say, well, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. And immediately, a lot of us, what comes to our mind is we have a whole bunch of yeah buts. Bunch, yeah, you guys ever get the yeah buts? Sometimes I get a case of the yeah buts when I'm reading the Bible. And Jesus says something, and I'm like, I see what Jesus said, and that, that makes sense. Yeah, but, and so for some of us, that's what you, you know, we read this, and you're like, yeah, but, okay, so Jesus says forgive without limitation. Yeah, but what if a person, for example, what if a person wrongs me, and they're not sorry, and they don't care? So what am I supposed to do then? Am I, or what about this one? Yeah, but, okay, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but what if they just keep taking advantage of me? Like, am I just supposed to make myself a doormat? How many times am I supposed to subject myself to being taken advantage of? Or how about this one? Yeah, but what if someone wrongs me and they're sorry, but I don't really think they're quite sorry enough. Like, I think they need to be a little more sorry. Or what about this one? Yeah, but what if the person who wronged me, what if they passed away? What if the person who, who has wronged me is someone who is, is no longer with us? I mean, how am I supposed to forgive someone that I can't, it's impossible for me to even have a relationship with them. And I think immediately we're full of a lot of different questions. Now, let me just tell you what I believe. There's a whole bunch more we could put on the screen, but let me tell you what I believe. I believe that Jesus knows us really, 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 really well. I mean, obviously Jesus knows us so well. And I think that Jesus understands that there's going to be a million questions and a million objections on this topic of forgiveness and the way that he's called us to forgive. And so in his kindness, Jesus offers us a parable. And so he gives this parable and here's what he says. So Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, therefore, in light of what I just said, that we should forgive limitlessly, he says, therefore, there was, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so Jesus starts this story, this parable, and he says that there was this king and this king had servants. And I want you to notice as Jesus sets up this parable, he says that this king wanted to settle accounts. He wanted to, there was, there was a, a settlement that was happening. Now, I actually just want to mention this because I think this is really interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Bible, whenever Jesus talks about forgiveness, which is fairly often, whenever he talks about forgiveness, the, the most common illustration that Jesus uses when he talks about forgiveness is money and debt. This is the most common illustration. Whenever Jesus is talking about forgiveness, the matter of the heart, he uses the analogy of money and debt. Now, I want to tell you why I think that's so helpful and it's so brilliant. The reason it's so helpful is because if you think about it, whenever someone hurts you or whenever someone wrongs you or whenever someone sins against you or whenever you do that to someone else, whenever you hurt someone or you wrong them or you sin against them, isn't it true that there is something that is left unsettled? There's something in the relationship. There's something in that. There's something that is left unsettled. There is a debt that is incurred. 
This is what happens. Or maybe if I could put it to you this way, this is another way to think about it. Whenever we're wronged, when we're wronged, there's always a loss and there's always a cost. Something is always lost and there's always, someone always has to pay for what was lost. And sometimes that's financial, sometimes it is, but it's not always financial, right? It could be a million things. It could be a loss of reputation. It could be a loss of relationship. It could be an emotional loss. It could be a physical loss. Something could be physically taken from you. It could be an opportunity that is lost and there's a cost, right? And it could be, it could cost you your reputation. It could cost you a friendship. It could cost you emotionally. It could cost you in a lot of different ways. But the truth is that whenever someone hurts or harms that there's always going to be a loss and there's always going to be a cost. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but we actually still to this day still use that same analogy of money and debt when we talk about forgiveness. So that's why we'll say things like this. We'll say things like, hey man, that really hurt. You owe me. That person owes me. Or we'll say things like this. I demand payback. What are we doing? We're using the same analogy because there's always a loss and there's always a cost. So, so Jesus goes on in the parable and he says, as this king began the settlement, right, he's settling things, there was a man, a servant, who owed him 10,000 bags of gold that was brought to him. Now, I wanna tell you, after studying this passage, I am absolutely convinced that when Jesus would have said that, when he would have said 10,000 bags of gold, his audience would have laughed. They would have just laughed. And, and the reason is because I think in order to understand this parable, you have to understand the outrageous sum of money that Jesus is talking about here. Now, some of you have different translations, and instead of saying 10,000 bags of gold, it might say 10,000, can you tell me, 10,000 talents, right? So talents. Now, now, if you've ever done the math on that, and some of you have study Bibles, uh, commentators will point out that if you actually do the math, 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold is the equivalent to 200,000 years worth of wages, it's an impossible sum of money. But again, I don't think the point that Jesus is trying to make is that he's saying like it's a specific amount of money. I think he's just saying this is an impossible amount of money. In fact, I thought this was interesting. If you look at it in the Greek language, so the Greek language is the language that the New Testament was written, the word 10,000 is literally the largest Greek number, the largest Greek numeral. And the number talent or the word talent was the largest unit of currency. And so what's Jesus saying? The point is, this is an impossible amount. This is a ridiculous amount of money. Nobody could ever repay this, not in a lifetime, not in a thousand lifetimes. You couldn't do it. And so, so look what Jesus goes on to say. He says, this guy owed him 10,000 bags of gold. And since he was not able to pay, you think, right? No way. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, by the way, that would have been pretty, pretty customary back in this time. If you couldn't repay a debt, it was, you would go in, you kind of go into debtor's prison or you would, be in, you would be sold as a slave to that person and then you would have to work off your debt. And if you were unable to work off your debt in your lifetime, then your children would be born into that slavery and their children would be born. And for a servant who owed this much money for generations and generations and generations, his family would have been born into this kind of slavery. And so the Bible says that he was, that he, he was kind of ordered that him and his wife would be sold into slavery. But then look at this next part, verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, it had to have been desperation. There's, there's no way he could have done this, especially as a servant, there's no way. But I want you to notice that the king, rather than laughing at him, look at how the king responds. 
the Bible says that the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. I want you to take note of those three things. He took pity, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. And, and you guys, that's important. We're actually going to come back to that. I think that's really important and very instructive as it relates to forgiveness. He took pity, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. And so he goes free, and here's what the Bible says in verse 28. And when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. So he goes out, he's totally free. He's been forgiven. And the Bible says he finds one of his fellow servants, another servant who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, some of your translations say 100 denarii. And if you've been with us in the past few weeks, you probably remember that one denarius was the equivalent to one day's wage. So 100 denarii, or 100 bags of silver, or uh, coins of silver, would have been equivalent to 100 days wage. So that's not a small amount of money. That's not a small sum. But comparative to what he's just been forgiven, it's pretty minimal. And the Bible says that he owed him, and so what does he do? What's his response? Now, I want you to pay close attention to his response. The Bible says that he grabbed his fellow servant. He began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me. He demanded of And the servant, look at this, his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him and he said, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Does that sound familiar? It's nearly identical to the the plea that the first servant, that you see with the first servant in verse 26, nearly identical. So how does he respond to this plea? How does he respond? Here's what the Bible says. He refused. He refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt could not be more opposite. So look what the Bible says. It says, when, when the other servants saw this, they're watching this, they were observing this, just like you and I are observing this. The Bible says that they were, their response was, they were outraged. They were outraged. It did not sit well with them. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And when the master then called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now, let me, let me just say, before we go further into this parable and, and, and look at the end of it, I, just, I, I honestly believe that the, that the real main point that Jesus is making is actually right there in verse 33. I think that's really the central point. Look at verse 33 again. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Look at this. Just as I had on you. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had had on you. And I think when we, when we hear this parable, we would expect that just like this servant had been forgiven, so he in turn would then go and forgive his fellow servant. Uh, you would imagine, I think reading this, we would think that, man, here's the king, and the king took pity, and the king canceled his debt, and the king let him go. And you would think that just like that, just like he was forgiven that he, to his fellow servant, you would imagine that he also would take pity, that he also would cancel the debt, and that he also would let him go. But here's the real shock of the parable. Here's the real hypocrisy that we see within it, that unlike, unlike the way that he was forgiven, and rather than taking pity, you're actually gonna see it right there in the Bible. What's his response? He refuses. And unlike the king who canceled the debt, he demands, he demanded that he pay him back. And unlike the king who let him go, he chokes, he grabs, and he imprisons. And you guys, I just, I wanna take just a moment. I wanna think through these two different responses because here's what I believe. 
I believe that in this parable and in these responses, this actually teaches us something about God's forgiveness. I think it teaches us something about the way that God wants us to forgive. And I think it also tells us something about unforgiveness, about resentment, about bitterness. I think it shows us those things. So first off, I want you to notice the king's response. The Bible's going to say that the king forgave and his, forgive, his forgiveness began, began with taking pity. He took pity. Actually, you guys, can I just tell you, I believe that this is the beginning point of forgiveness. What does it look like to forgive? How do we forgive? I think it starts here. I think it starts by taking pity. It's interesting. This is exactly what the Bible says in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him to truly forgive the way that God forgives and the way that God desires. I think it starts here. We must take pity on the person who has harmed us. Now, what does that mean when I say to take pity? Well, I want you to understand that when we say pity, a lot of times what we think is we think that means that you need to feel sorry for somebody. And that's part of it, but it's actually much more than that. When the Bible says to take pity, there's actually a much deeper kind of meaning behind that term. In fact, let me just show you. In the Greek language, the word take pity is one word, and it's this word right here, all right? I actually thought it was kind of funny because yesterday, uh, Bob, who's on our tech team, he saw this slide and he's like, what happened? Did you like fall on your keyboard? And I was like, yeah, I kind of see it that way. But this is actually a word. It's actually a Greek word. It's the word splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. That's a, that's a Greek word. And it's really fun to say. And I know you want to say it. So let's give a shot. Turn to your neighbor and say splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. And, you can, and you, can, you can probably tell, can't you? When you say it, you can tell it's a word that literally means your guts. It, it means your guts or your bowels. And you can tell when you say it because it's like it, it involves like splagnizomai. Like you can feel it in you. And, and here's what it literally means. It is the guttural response of compassion and empathy. Did you know that this term right here is the, is the emotional response that is most attributed to Jesus? Jesus in, in the gospels feels this more than any other emotion, splagnizomai. What is it? It is gut-level compassion. Here's what it is. I'll, I'll give you a great definition. Uh, Splagnizomai is this idea. It is the decision, and I say decision because it is a, it's a deliberate decision to, to empathize or sympathize with a person. It is to put yourself in their shoes, and it is to see yourself in them. It is to recognize not only your own humanity, but theirs. That's what it means. And I believe that what it means to take pity, I think forgiveness starts here. Forgiveness begins by recognizing, by empathizing and sympathizing and seeing yourself in the person who has wronged you. Now, the reason that I say that you have to do this deliberately is because if you're anything like me, I can just tell you that when someone has hurt me and someone has wronged me, my, my natural inclination is not to empathize with them. My natural inclination is to demonize them and to caricaturize them. I think I actually really, I really like that idea. You guys, you guys, we all know what a caricature, you guys know what a caricature is, right? You ever see that? Like you, you go to an amusement park and there's someone who will draw a funny picture of you. They'll do it. They'll draw a caricature. What is a caricature? Well, we all know this. A caricature, a caricature is simply this. It, it reduces a real life 3D person into a 2D parody. That's what a caricature does, right? It takes a real person and it reduces them down. It exaggerates certain aspects of the person, and it minimizes certain aspects of the person, and it reduces them down to a 2D parody. 
And we do that. Sometimes what happens when people hurt us is we caricaturize them. Now, some of you are like, what do you mean? What, is that, what does it look like to caricaturize someone? Well, let me give you an example. Maybe this. Let's say that somebody has lied to you, all right? What, what my guess is what you're inclined to do if someone has lied to you and they hurt you is you probably don't think to yourself, hey, that person lied to me. Instead, what we'll say is that person is a liar. That person is a liar. Or let's say that someone acts selfishly. A lot of times what we say is not, hey, that person acted very selfishly. What we'll tend to think is, no, that person is just selfish. That's just what they are. But what's interesting is if I asked you, or if you asked me, if you said, hey, have you ever lied? Have you ever acted selfishly? I would say, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, but you gotta understand, it was kind of complicated, right? There was, there was nuances, there was, there, was, there was reasons why, and I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it, but, but honestly, but the thing I wouldn't say is I wouldn't say all I am is a liar and all I am is selfish all the time. Now, why is that? Because I'm a real person. I'm a 3D person. And what we do a lot of times is we will take a person who has hurt us and we will reduce them down to their offense. We will boil them down to what they've done to us. And you guys, here's the truth. We do this to people who hurt us and we will do this to entire groups of people. We will do this to entire groups of people and and we'll label and we'll caricaturize them and we'll do these things. Here's what I believe. I believe forgiveness begins with this. It begins with changing my heart. I have to change my heart. It begins with taking pity. It begins by recognizing their humanity and my own humanity. This is a fellow servant. This is a fellow person. That's what it is. How did the king forgive? He started by taking pity. But what's interesting is the servant did the opposite. The servant refused. He would not. He just would not. I'll tell you, one of the things that makes the servant's response so shocking and so outrageous to us is that here he is choking his fellow servant And what makes it so outrageous and what makes it so wrong is that he refuses to see himself in the one that he's choking. Here's a servant who's acting like he's the king and acting like he's the judge. What all the while, the real king and the real judge just forgave him an amount that he could never. Here is the one who is forgiven, who is unwilling to forgive. So it begins here. It begins by taking pity. The king, the Bible's gonna say, cancel the debt cancel the debt. Now, can I, can I just tell you, I know whenever we talk about forgiveness, it's always, it's always, everyone's always looking for what is, define for me what forgiveness is. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's really hard to, to just get a, a clear definition of what biblical forgiveness is. But if I could just make it real simple, real simple, the word forgive in the Bible literally just means this. That's what it means. It means to cancel the debt. It means that you release someone from the debt. That's literally what the word forgive means. And, and it's interesting. I, I think that this is actually pretty helpful because it helps us understand a little bit of what forgiveness is, but also what forgiveness is not. And, you know, I could actually spend a whole lot of time on this, but just, I think just for the sake of clarity, let me just give you three things that I believe that the Bible's gonna show us that forgiveness is not. Okay, so let me just try to clarify three things that, for, and I could give you more than this, but for time's sake, forgiveness is not, so first and foremost, I think that forgiveness is not forgetting, pretending, or ignoring. Biblical forgiveness does not mean that you forget, that you ignore, or you pretend that someone has hurt you or that an offense has happened. I want you just to remember the passage right before this. Jesus says, hey, if someone sins against you, what does he say you should do? The first thing he says is you should talk to them. You should actually go to them and you should actually try to resolve it. And if that doesn't work, you should maybe get some other people involved. And I just want you to know that is the opposite of forgetting, pretending, or ignoring. It's the opposite. 
I also want to clarify, forgiveness is not enabling or tolerating future abuse. That's not what it is. I think it's really important that we recognize there is a big difference between trust and forgiveness. It's entirely possible for you to forgive someone and yet still not quite have your trust rebuilt. It's possible for, for you to harm someone and for them to forgive you, but that doesn't mean that trust is gonna immediately be restored. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say this because I know that in a church our size, in a room this big and with people who are watching on live stream, there are more than certainly people right now who are in this room who are in an abusive relationship. And you might be in a sexually abusive or a physically abusive relationship right now. And, and you might be hearing all of this and you might be thinking to yourself, man, God wants me to forgive that person. They want me to forgive that person. And I, I wanna tell you that that's true. God wants you to forgive that person. But listen, your priority is to get safe. And your priority is to talk to somebody. Forgiveness does not mean that things just immediately go back to the way they were before. And so forgiveness doesn't mean that you continually subject yourself to tolerating future abuse. Forgiveness is not reconciliation or restoration. Very different things. Listen, it takes, it takes two people for reconciliation. And you can't control how another person is gonna respond and you can't control whether another person wants to reconcile or not. You can't do that. It takes two people to reconcile. It only takes one person to forgive. And so what that means, Jesus, Jesus is actually gonna say this. Jesus is gonna say that forgiveness is something that comes from your heart. It comes from your heart. And so that means that you can forgive someone, even someone who's passed away, even someone who is, is, is just not interested in your forgiveness. You can still forgive that person. So on a most basic level, what is forgiveness? I think it's this. I think it's just canceling the debt. And I want you to think about this with me for a minute. In order for you to cancel the debt, what is required? What's required? Well, well you guys remember what we said earlier? There's always a loss and there's always a cost. So, so what does it require to cancel the debt? Here's what it requires. Someone has to pay. Somebody has to pay. And there's really two options. The first option is that you pay is that you just absorb it into yourself. This is what the king did. Because I want you to think about this. For the king to forgive his servant 10,000 talents, that would have meant that he would have had to cut his losses. He would have had to absorb that into himself. So the first option is that we pay. The second option is that we demand that they pay. That's what he does. He demands payback. You have to pay me back. Forgiveness is this. If I could just summarize it very simply. Forgiveness is this. Listen, I'm canceling the debt. I'm going to absorb the pain. I am going to absorb the loss. I am the one who's going to. This is uh, Dr. Gary Brashears. I love his definition of forgiveness. He said this, forgiveness is my personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt, to pay them back for their offense. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. That's a great definition. I choose to absorb the pain into myself with God's help, with God's help. And lastly, I want you to notice this. The Bible's gonna say the king, the king let him go. The king let him go. Whereas unlike that, the servant grabbed him and he choked him and he imprisoned him. So can, I, can I just say that as complicated um, and as nuanced as navigating forgiveness can be and as difficult as it can be to define what biblical forgiveness truly is, can I just give you maybe the, maybe the best definition that I can think of, of what it means to forgive from your heart? You know, some things, words are not easy to describe, but I think sometimes you could describe it in other ways. So here's what I think it is. Can I, can I ask you to do something with me? 
And even if you're watching on live stream, can I ask you to do this with me? Can I ask you to put your hand out in front of you? Just try this with me, okay? And I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to ball up your fist as hard as you can. Try this with me right now. Ball up your fist as hard as you can, almost to the, almost to the place where it hurts a little bit. Ball it up. All right now, I want you to just think about this with me for a minute. In your heart, this is what unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment is like. Just Now, if you do this with me, I want you just to slowly start to ease your hand, release your grip, and just open your hand. And I think that in your heart, this is what forgiveness looks like. You guys, I think, it's just, I think that this is the best way to describe it. There's something I think all of us understand in this because here's the point, you guys. Unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment, it's like this. It's like, it's like this. It's like grabbing and choking and imprisoning. It's like I, I refuse to let you go. I will hold on to it. I will always hold it against you. I will not let you go. I'm going to hold you in the captivity of my resentment. That's what it is. You are going to be in the prison of my anger and I will hold on to you in my heart. That's what, that's what unforgiveness looks like. And here you are saying, I will not let you go, but it won't let you go. And some of us live life this way, man. And we're, we're wondering, why are we so, why are we so anxious? And why are we so uptight? And why, and, and here's why, because we're, we're holding on so tight. And here's what forgiveness is in your heart. It's saying, you know what? I let it go. I'm letting you go. And that doesn't, listen, that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And that doesn't mean that it all goes away, but it means I'm making a choice. I'm choosing to absorb it within myself. This is the kind of forgiveness that God is calling us into. And then Jesus ends this parable. And you guys, he ends with some of, honestly, the most unsettling words in all of scripture. Here's what Jesus says. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And that's the end of the parable. And Peter regrets asking the question, right? <laughs> goodness, guys, good night. What do, we do with a, what do we do with a verse like that? And can I just be honest with you guys? I'm still wrestling with this one. I just, I, to be honest with you, I, I want to be, be careful not to just quickly explain this away because I think Jesus' words are heavy and I think they're intended to weigh on us a little bit. But can I just say this? I could say that whatever they mean, I think we could, we could easily conclude this, that God takes, for those of us who follow him, he takes our ability or our inability to forgive very serious. He takes it very serious. You guys, a huge part of following Jesus includes forgiveness. You guys ever think about the Lord's Prayer? We are to pray this regularly. And what does it include? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Who debt, Forgive us our debtors as we forgive, or however, you know what I'm talking about. The Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I know it. I, I've read it. <laughs> like, like, way to go, pastor. I think that's kind of, it's like the elementary stuff right there, the Lord's Prayer. But yeah, I mean, it's like, that's a big part of what it is to follow Jesus is like forgiveness. It's a huge part of what God calls us to. But I do need to say this. I need to at least say this, you guys. I, I, I don't think what Jesus is saying 
It's, I don't think he's saying if you forgive, you go to heaven, and if you don't forgive, you go to hell. I don't think that's what he's saying because that's not congruent with what, what the rest of the Bible teaches. So what is he saying? Well, I think very simply what he's saying is this, is that unforgiveness is an indication that I haven't received God's forgiveness and grace. Maybe I could explain to you this way. I want you to imagine two trees. Let's just call them apple trees in the fall, all right? And let's say that one of the trees has apples and the other one doesn't. There's no fruit on the tree. What are you going to assume? Well, you're gonna assume that this tree is healthy, that it has life. And you're gonna, you're gonna assume that this tree is diseased and that it's dying, right? And why is that? Well, it's not because the fruit gives life to the tree. It's because the fruit reveals that the tree has life. And I think in the same way, I believe that the outward fruit of forgiveness is evidence of God's transforming grace that's at work within. That it's a fruit that comes without comes from the place of God's grace. And maybe there's no better way to tell whether or not you've really received God's forgiveness in your life than if you're willing to forgive other people because God's grace flows into you and it flows through you. Because you guys, here's the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. The gospel is that our heavenly father, my heavenly father, your heavenly father, he took pity on us. The Bible's gonna say, you guys, we were the ones who owed the debt that we couldn't pay. I think, I think here's maybe one of the issues for some of us. One of the issues is, is we don't think that our sin against God is that serious. I think this parable is helping us understand that it's more serious than we think and that God's forgiveness is more costly than we can imagine. But our heavenly father saw us and he empathized with us and he sympathized with us and he actually put himself in our shoes. He became a man. And then the Bible's gonna tell us not only that, but he canceled our debt. He canceled it. He forgave us. And Jesus in Jesus Christ, the Bible's gonna say this, Colossians 2, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Listen, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and he nailed it to the cross. Forgiveness was costly. What did it cost him? What did it cost him? It cost him his son. That's what it cost him. He canceled the debt, and then he let us go. We go free from the penalty of sin and death, we have the hope of eternity because of what he has done on our behalf. And so the question then, I think the point is, if this is the way that we have been forgiven, then man, just like we were forgiven, so we should forgive other people. This is exactly what Ephesians says. Ephesians chapter four says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now notice, just as, just as, who? Christ forgave you forgave you. Because here's what I believe. When I focus on my hurt, when I focus on what they've done to me, forgiveness feels like I'm rewarding my enemy. But when I focus on the cross, when I focus on his grace, forgiveness just feels like a gift from one undeserving soul to another. That's what it feels like. I love what N.T. Wright said. He, 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 uh, he said it this way. He said, every time you forgive someone else, you pass on a drop of water out of the bucket full that God has already given you. Because I think here's the great paradigm shift. I think the great paradigm shift is this, that you and I, in and of ourselves, we don't have the capacity to forgive the way Jesus calls us to. It's not only difficult to forgive limitlessly, it's impossible for us to do that. In, an, in our own strength, we can't do it. But here's the paradigm shift is that we don't have it within ourselves, but God does. God has the capacity. He has the strength. 
And, and it's only when we look to him and receive his forgiveness that we can then turn to other people and forgive them as well. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. And as they do, I wanna just close with a couple things. And then I wanna invite you to pray with me. I actually have a, a kind of a unique prayer that I wanna invite you to pray with me. But let me just say first and foremost, to the person who's not a follower of Jesus, if you're someone who's investigating Christianity and uh, I just wanna tell you, we, we count it such an honor that you would let us be part of your, of your spiritual investigation. But you might be hearing this and you might be, for you, you might be thinking of people and thinking of circumstances and thinking maybe of, in, of groups of people where there's bitterness and resentment and you might be thinking about the need to forgive and you might be hearing this, you might be thinking, yeah, I really need to forgive and what Jesus says is good and I, I really need to do that. But can I just tell you, I, I honestly think that if I just, if you don't follow Jesus and I just told you to go forgive limitlessly, I'm not telling you to do something difficult. I'm telling you to do something impossible. You can't do it. I can't do it. So the truth is, where do you find the power to forgive the way Jesus has called us to? And the answer is, you have to turn to God. You have to turn to him. You can't do it without God's help. You can't do it without his strength. You can't do it without his forgiveness. So if you're someone investigating Christ, can I just encourage you this way? You can turn to him. You can turn to him right now. The forgiveness of your sins is on offer to you. You can turn to Jesus and you can begin following him now. And you can just talk to him just in your heart to God's heart. You can just say, God, I receive your forgiveness and I wanna start following you. My investigation stops now and now I'm following you. And you can make that decision right now in your heart right now. Now, let me just say this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, whether you're someone who's been following Jesus for 20 years or you've been following Jesus for two seconds, because literally just two seconds ago, you're like, I'm following Jesus now. Can I just invite you? I want to encourage you, if you'd be willing to, can I invite you to pray a prayer with me? It's a forgiveness prayer. So here's what I want to ask you to do. All right. Would you put your hands out? I want you to actually physically do this with me. Would you put your hands out? And would you clench your fists? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And would you just pray this with me? Once you first and foremost, would you ask God, Lord Jesus, would you search my heart? And would you show me, are there people? Are there circumstances? Are there groups of people that I am refusing to forgive? Are there people that I am holding on to, that I am clinging to, that are within the prison of my resentment? Would you show me? Would you show me? Are there people I need to forgive? Show me now. Would you pray this with me? With those names in mind, Lord, they sinned against me. Father, they have hurt me. And God, they have harmed me. But Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned against you. And I have hurt you and I have harmed you. Thank you that you took pity on me. Thank you that you paid my debt. Thank you that you let me go. And if you would do this, just open your hands. If you're willing to, open your hands. And would you pray this? Father, as you have done for me, with your help and by your strength, I choose to do for them. 
So God, I show pity to them. They're another person just like me, a person who you died for, who you love. God, I, I release them from their debt. I choose to absorb the pain. And Father, I choose to let them go into your hands. You're the king and you're the judge, not me. And I entrust them to you. And so Father, I choose to forgive with your help and by your strength in Jesus' name.